Thank the Lord for the Holy Spirit. Thank the Lord for the life of God. Hallelujah and faith. Let's just pray for just a minute. <clears throat> we have several things. Uh, if you would just join me in prayer tonight for just a little bit here. We have several things we need to kind of agree on and just continue in the believing the Lord for. Father, we're grateful as always to be able to come together, Father, as your as the family and body of Jesus Christ and to assemble around your table to receive from your hand. We thank you, Father God, it doesn't make any difference where we're at. You prepare a table for us, Father. And, and the psalmist of old said that even in the middle of our enemies, Father God, that that table can be prepared. Father, there's a lot of attack. There's a lot of things that, that are pending, Lord Jesus, from an, from an enemy standpoint, Lord, and the assail against people's families, Lord God, against circ, you know, circumstances that are raining down. Father, extra hard right now and just general weirdness all the way around. And we thank you, Father God, that you prepare a table, O oh Father. You are provision, Father God, in the middle of famine. Your joy in the middle, Father God, of depression. Your strength in the middle of weakness, O oh God. And it says that you give power to the faint. Oh, God, you increase strength to them that have no might. You give power to the faint, oh, God. And, and God, we extol the virtues of the grace of your strength, Father God, and your ability. And, Father, we just pray right now and cover the people that are gone, that are involved in different facets. Father, for Pastor CJ, he's, he's going to be delivering and handling the service tomorrow. Father God, for what in the natural is is a horrible tragedy. But thank God for the Holy Spirit who can bring life in the middle of that situation and peace and joy and hope. Thank you for bringing a word to him, Father God, and for anointing his lips to bring forth the word that will sustain the weary. Thank you, Father God, for Todd's life. The Lord, he's in the middle of a, of a dark situation, Father, in the natural. Father, but we thank you that he is an agent of life, Lord. He is, Father God, a standard that is being held in the spirit, Father God, against the, the, the enemy and against the work of darkness, Father God, uh, with, uh, with, uh, against Joshua Tovar. Father God, we're thankful for the life of God that is present, Lord, in that room. We're thankful for the peace, Father, that passes understanding, we're thankful for grace and strength, Father God, to come upon his body and his mind and his emotions, Father God, in the name of Jesus right now. Hallelujah. Father, we choose to acknowledge and to lift you high no matter what goes down. Because we know, Father God, that you are worthy of all praise. And, and we're, we're just grateful right now, Father, for your protection over our church family. Father, over the people that are members here, Lord, and their extended family, we just invoke the power of the covenant, Lord, that, Lord, no evil can befall us or disaster come near us because we set our affections and our love upon you, O God. And we're just grateful and, pra and praise you for that precious, precious blood of Jesus that is the foundation of that covenant. And we just thank you, Holy Spirit, for leading us tonight as we... Uh, move in your word we thank you right now for revelation we thank you for understanding father god for light to come tonight 
And I praise you for the anointing, oh, Holy Spirit, that you would be able to pour forth uh, right now through me, Lord, even though my flesh is tired and my soul is weary, oh, God, it makes no difference because the life of God is greater in me than everything else, hallelujah, that's in the world. In the name of Jesus, and same too for my brothers and sisters out here that are here to receive your word, Lord, tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, praise the Lord. Okay, so we've been talking about the Word of God over the past several Wednesdays, the importance of the Word of God, how you achieve revelation in the Word of God. Has anybody learned anything in the past several weeks, um, those that have been able to attend? And, and if you were not able to attend, um, you know, the first three lessons about the Word where we covered the particular steps that you can take toward revelation and applying the Word of God in your life. And I invite you to go on the Internet and download the uh, podcast or the uh, um, MP3 versions to listen to those. But has, he, has anybody received anything the past weeks? All right, we got a couple hands raised up. Praise the Lord. That's good. Um, we're going to continue on tonight and just talk a little bit more and expound upon that aspect of of the Word. Are you raising your hand, Mel? Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about something that pertains to how the Word of God works in our life exactly. And it's something that you will not hear uh, very often. I mean, it's kind of a teaching that that was very that was brought very specifically for, through one minister, Revelation. Um, and I honestly don't hear. I, I've Googled it multiple times, and you can find more and more. It's increasingly, uh, you know, becoming people are becoming aware uh, of the of the concept and have uh, taken you know taken off and developing some of the teaching along the lines, but. It's the concept of merismos, which is something that was brought forth by Randy Shankle back in the 80s. He actually wrote a book on this concept. Actually, it was in the late 70s, early 80s. And there's a book, you can actually still get it, I think, on Amazon. It's called merismos, M-E-R-I-S-M-O-S. And it's a Greek word. We're going to learn about that tonight. And really what it talks about is the dividing action of the Word of God, what the Word of God does whenever it penetrates into our lives. And we're going to talk about what really that is and why that's important because it is the mode and action of the word of God in our lives that renders that renders uh, more than just understanding. I mean, understanding and light is what we want ultimately from the word of God, but we want the salvation of our soul, right? I mean, we're saved and, 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 and born again and made in right standing from a spiritual standpoint, but from a soulish and flesh standpoint, that redemption has yet to be worked out. The redemption in the kingdom of God is within us, and it has to be worked from within to the outward. And it's so interesting because when man gets a hold of it, he tries to work from the outward to the inward. And you can see that it becomes a, a, you know, a desperation of legalism and ordinance and routine and tradition, and it's all dead, every bit of it. I mean, that's ultimately what it is. It's just a bunch of dead works. And you've got people that are walking around with this horrible yoke upon them, trying to work out their salvation from an outward perspective to the inward. But the pro- the issue is the life is in here, folks. And you've got to make the connection and the sourcing of that life from here to the outward. 
That's the correct, the correct uh, order of things. That's the correct pathway of the flow. And that correct pathway of the flow is spirit first, then to the soul and the body. It's not the other way around. And the problem is, is that, and we're going to learn about this from Amerismos, you know, this concept of Amerismos, is that the soul, so much of the human life, I mean, even for spirit-filled Christians, for my life, is lived out of my soul and not my spirit. Uh, you know, the soul and the flesh. And so we're going to talk a little bit about this concept because that's, that's what it deals with. It deals with being able to, to separate or divide out your being, soul and spirit for the, for what they are so that you can make the choice for the spirit all the time. Not just some of the time, but all the time. And so if you'll turn over to the golden text of this teaching, it's Hebrews chapter four, verses 12 through 13. So if you'll turn over there. And so let me read that Hebrews 4, 12 through 13. And if you don't have these, I say 12 through 13. It's actually just verse 12. I keep saying 12 through 13 because I've got this written down wrong on my note for some reason. I've got that in my mind. It's Hebrews 4, 12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So we brought forth this scripture last week and just kind of gave just a very, very brief introduction to this scripture. We're going to really divide, uh, delve down into this scripture and tear it apart to get the full meaning by the Holy Spirit and by the textual and contextual um, uh, meaning here of some of the words that are listed here. This is Paul speaking to, first of all, we need to understand this is Paul speaking to a body of believers. Okay, so so if he's speaking to a body of believers, then we know that this is an epistle that applies to us too because we're a body of believers in the New Testament church, just like the Hebrews were. So this is not just speaking to any general people. This is speaking to body of believers, you know, believers, people just like you and I. So this is people that are spirit-filled, you know, people that have been, that have known God now for maybe a little bit and have grown in some of the things of God. And so we see Paul uh, laying out here a very, very important scripture with regard to the importance of the word of God and actually what the mode or action of the word is in our lives. And so if we begin to look at the scripture and start breaking it down from the Greek, and one of the things I didn't, I failed to bring forward, I think I mentioned it just maybe tangentially, but really I need to add probably a step or expound on one of the steps in terms of receiving revelation from the word of God is the importance of you to be able to go back to, to the, the development or the etymology of the word. Where did it come from? Etymology means the, the derivation or the origin of words, where they come from. Um, just like, for instance, we're going to learn about a word tonight, suke. And that sounds very similar to a word because if I replace the U with a Y, psyche. And it means the same thing because the word psyche that we understand today that has to do with the whole or totality of man's mind, his soul, comes from the word Greek word suke, which is the same thing. So that's the etymology of psyche as we know it. Okay? That's where it comes from. Well, 
you need to know where the words that were translated into our language came from. Well, in the New Testament, it's largely the Greek language. And so one of the key things you can do to achieve revelation, and this is one of the first things I do, is do a word study. And so now with with technology, the advent of technology, it's so easy to do this. Before, you know, when I was learning how to do it, you know, particularly from my mother and father-in-law, we had the Strong's Concordance. <laughs> and you had to go and open this things like that thick, and you had to go and flip through there and find, you know, find the verses, find the words and, and the references in there for the original Greek words that were then translated into the English words that we see on the page now in our Bible. Now it's just take your finger and, and let the fingers do the walking. It's so easy. And so uh, one particular Bible that I use is called the Blue Letter Bible. It's an app for, for uh, Android or, uh, or for uh, iDevices. You can download the Blue Letter Bible. And the most wonderful thing about it to me is this thing that I'm telling you right now is to, is to look at the original language word by word. Open that word up and see what it means. And so like... Let me just give you a good example. So like if I open my blue letter Bible and I, I don't know if any of y'all have the blue letter. I know, I know several of you do. My mom, my mother-in-law, my wife, Kaylin, I know has it. Cornell, I believe you have it. Several of you probably have the blue letter, letter Bible apps on your iDevices or whatever they are. For those of y'all that have not advanced to the, or, you know, have accepted and embraced the technology, I'm, I'm sorry for you. <laughs> because, because, I've got like 50 Bibles here on this little device at my beck and call. I mean, just I, all I have to do is just flip through it, and I've got a, a, a versions, just flip through version after version after version of the Word. It's wonderful. But this Blue Letter Bible, you know, you can't really see it, but it there it is. And so I can flip over to uh, Hebrews. Um, so let me just do that right quick. I'm kind of digressing here for just a, a second or a minute or two. So Hebrews 4.12. Now, in the Blue Letter Bible, it works like this. You press on the actual verse, and it brings up a drop-down menu. You You click on interlinear concordance, and there is the Greek interlinear concordance. It's that easy. And every single word and its etymology from the Greek is right there itemized before you. And so this is a wonderful, a wonderful way to get revelation from the Word of God is to do what's called a word study. That's to go in and you study the words from which our translated Bible came from, the original words. And the reason for this is very simple. The other languages are not adequate a lot of times to, to convey the original true meanings, the full meanings of, uh, that were intended and written in the Greek. And, you know, I've talked about this many times before in different uh, lessons, uh, particular lessons about love. The word love, for instance, in the Greek, there's like four different words for love. You know, uh, you know, there's like, there's like eros, there's uh, uh, phileo, there's agape. I think there's another one even after that. There's like all, there's like Three to four different words for love in the Greek. Well, guess what? In English, how many words do we have for love? <laughs> I've said this many times, but I, it bears repeating, you know. 
I love my wife. I love pizza. I love my dog. So you see what I'm saying? I mean, it, our, our language really falls short in terms of conveying the reality of what I'm intending in that concept, right? Because obviously to say that I love pizza and I love my wife, I'm not in, I'm not implying or intending the same, conveying the same type of love, right? I mean, for some guys, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just being hard on this guys a little bit. Do y'all see what I'm saying? How important it is. If you do a word study, don't go back to the Greek. Then all of a sudden it's like opened up to you and you realize whenever you see that interaction, I think a classic example is the interaction that Jesus has with Peter, you know, in the, the last chapter of John where he's talking to Peter about, you know, if you love me, Feed my sheep. If you love me, tend my lambs. If you love me, see what I'm saying? Feed my lambs. And if you look at that, you'll see the interplay of the different words that love, the English word love is translated from, and it's multiple words. It's not the same Greek love there, word for love. And when you, when you click on that and you begin to see that, you see, oh my goodness, you understand more about what Jesus was conveying to Peter, you know? Because the first two times he's asking him, do you agape me? I mean, do you love me without condition? In other words, do you love me not just as a friend, not because you like me, not because I've done all these things for you, but just because of, you know, because you want to please the father. Because as you see me, you see the father and you are responding by giving your life for me. That's, that's really what Jesus is asking. That's my, that's, that's saith Greg, but that's what I think Jesus is asking, you know. Because he's asking him to give his life, isn't he? Because he says, tend my lambs, feed my sheep. He's, he's telling Peter, be a pastor, you know. And then Peter turns around and says, yes, I phileo you. So he doesn't even respond with the same love that Jesus asked him about. Because phileo means, I like you, Jesus. Yeah, I love you because I like the heck out of you. You're awesome. And, which is wonderful because all of us love the warm fuzzy of being liked, you know. I gotta watch out here because I'll start preaching on something I'm not intending to preach on. But you see what I'm saying? If you go in there and you click this, you will understand the difference there and get a lot more revelation from the scripture. Just doing a word study from the Greek. And then the Old Testament, it's, it's predominantly Hebrew with some Aramaic. So, uh, I would really encourage you to get an app for one of your smart, you have to have a smartphone or a smart device or a computer. Think you can download these on your computer as well. So not just your smartphone. And then get this, and then you've got it right there at your fingertips, point and click, and you can do word studies. And so like for Hebrews 4.12, I can click on that verse in my Blue Letter Bible. And, and it's free, too. I'm not doing a commercial for something here. I'm getting paid for it. It's free. The Blue Letter Bible is free. And you can go down through here for the word. It gives logos of God. Theos is quick. Zeo and powerful. Energes and sharper. Tomos than any. See, it just breaks it right down word by word. And it gives you the corresponding Greek words for those. And guess what one of the Greek words are? Marismos. That's what we're talking about. So there's my segue back into from the rabbit trail. Okay, so. We can see that Paul begins to iterate here some ish, some things about the Word of God, 
And he talks about it being sharp and talks about it being a sword and about it piercing and it dividing a, a list of things here, you know, kind of a, 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 a couplets, if you will, soul and spirit, joint and marrow. And it's a, a discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart. The word here, piercing even to the division of, is translated from the word marismos. And it means literally to divide something into its parts. So you can take something that's a whole and then divide it into its parts. And so, you know, you know, maybe a good example might be, you know, a, 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 a puzzle. If anyone's ever put together any kind of a puzzle or something, you've got a lot of pieces there. You know, if you've ever taken a puzzle that you put together and then break that apart, you're marismosing that puzzle. You're taking that puzzle, which was once whole, formed by multiple parts, and you're separating it out. Okay? And in this case, we can see that we're dividing these into groups. Well, what groups are you dividing? You're dividing soul and spirit. See, he tells us joints and marrow. You know, and then it discerns. It can tell, it can tell something. It can understand something about thoughts and intents. Okay? Talking about the word here. So it's from the Greek. The Greek word marismos comes from a root word marizo, which means to part or to separate, and then maros, which is a division or share. So you're separating it into its divisions or its shares, separation into part. So the question is, why is Paul bringing this out? What's the importance of the action of the word of God to divide soul and spirit? Well, what's the big deal, you know, about that? You know, and here's, here's, you know, uh, the big deal. We know that the natural man can't receive anything from the spirit. It's no different than if you have a K-band satellite dish and you're trying to receive a different bandwidth of satellite signal. You can be out there and adjusting that K-band satellite to receive every kind of, you know, K-band you can. But if it's not K-band, guess what? You're not going to receive the signal. You know, and that's the same, too, with the difference between spirit, soul, and body. You can't take the flesh and dial and tune your flesh to a place to receive the things of the spirit. You can't take the soul and dial and tune and fine-tune to receive the things of the spirit. I mean, i got to say this over and over and over again because it's so important. Because this is where we fall short. I mean, this is where we end up. In, a, in, in, in darkness, you know, end up in a place that we don't, we're not able to, the word of God's not fruitful to us. Because the word of God is very clear that the natural man can't receive the things of the spirit. Because they're not understood by him. In fact, it says that they're foolishness to him. It doesn't make sense. And all I have to do is say one word to you, faith. Does the word, I mean, does the concept of faith make any sense to your human reasoning? To say that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen? No, because you know what the, the sensibilities of your soul are about? Seeing is, that's right. Seeing is believing. That's the soul. Seeing is believing. You've got to see to believe. How many of times have you even said that to yourself? You know? And the body's even worse than that. The body's got to be immersed in it, you know, experientially. 
you know, and it is through the senses. So seeing is believing to the soul, but that is not faith. Faith is seeing things that you don't see in the natural, that you don't perceive from a soulish standpoint, that aren't. Faith actually is an ability to do something beyond the con, the limits of your soul, the limits of your reason or intellect. It, why? Because faith is a spiritual substance. It's a spiritual thing. And it is a substance. The Bible says it's the substance. It's the substance. Somebody's fixing to get revelation about faith here tonight. It's the substance. Faith is a substance. It's not just this ethereal, I wish and hope upon a star thing. Faith, whenever the word of God enters your heart from a revelation of it, where you understand it from a spirit to your spirit conveyance, you it's spoken and you understand, you receive, you see the light. And faith is born and faith becomes the substance of that thing you're hoping for. That is faith, folks, and it is a substance, and it's a spiritual thing. It's not a soulless thing, and it's not, it's not, you know, you hear the psychologists, and they want to talk about mind over matter. Well, I got to tell you here tonight, you might think that your mind is over a lot of matter, but there's going to come a time whenever the matter is going to, going to kick your mind's tail. No, I'm telling you that right now. And I, I mean, I don't, that's, that's very apparent to every one of us sitting here. How many times have you had your, your mind kicked by the matter? Well, I have, man. Oh my goodness. So it is not mind over matter. You can do everything you want to do and do all the Gregorian chants and uh, the yoga and the concentration and meditation you want to do from a mental standpoint. And you might be able to, 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 uh, achieve a focus a little bit more focused than me or someone else with regard to what you're doing in an area. But I got to tell you, at some point in time, the circumstance will be over your mind. It will exceed the confines of your mind and ability to change it from a mental and soulless standpoint. So guess what you have to do at that point in time? Either get your tail kicked or decide that, oh, I'm not going to operate in a limited capacity. I'm going to go to an unlimited capacity of the spirit who is in identification and made after the substance of an eternal and overcoming God and, and, and who is limitless. And I'm going to tap into that potential. Do you see that? That's faith. I mean, that's where faith is at. I feel that faith is buoying up in some people's hearts here tonight. Faith is booing up. Well, I think the light comes on about faith tonight in some people's, people's souls. Hallelujah. Revelation. Okay. So we know that the natural man can't receive anything from the spirit. So we got to realize a separation of these lives so that we can know what the spirit is and make the choice to receive from that area over all the other areas in our lives. And then what happens is when we make that choice for the Spirit, to receive from the Spirit, then our soul gets renewed to the Spirit. See, the thing about the Christian is, is that Paul talked about work out your salvation 
with fear and trembling. What was he talking about? A lot of people might take that scripture and think, well, that means that you've got to work for your salvation. No, the thing he's talking about there is the salvation of your soul. Suke. He's not talking about the salvation of your pneuma, spirit. He's talking about salvation of your suke. That means your psyche, your soul, your mind, will, and emotions have to be renewed unto the life that's in you from a spiritual perspective. It has to be renewed to the, and it's not just a, a wish and hope so, it's a reality of the spirit. A reality that just as real as you seeing me here and I'm seeing you sitting there in this dimension, in the spiritual dimension, the reality is you, all of your needs are met according to Christ, uh, you know, uh, Christ's riches and glory. All of your uh, needs are met. You have all sufficiency of all things at all times. You're healed by the stripes of Jesus. All of those things that are promises of the word of God are realities in the spirit. They are substance of the spirit. And so you have to, you have to somehow manifest the sub, the thing that is a substance in the spirit to a substance of the natural. And then that's called a manifestation. You somehow have to translate the substance of the spirit to the substance of the natural. And that's called a manifestation. Guess how that happens? Faith. And guess how faith happens? Word. And guess how the operation of the word has to work for you to receive that uh, faith and have that born in your heart? Marismos, which is what we're talking about. You can be born again. You can be spirit-filled and yet live 95 plus or, or more plus percent of your life from the suke, the soulless realm and life of, of you. And, and you know, I... I like what the Holy Spirit kind of brought to me. It's the difference between God things and good things. You know, there's a lot of really good things that you can do in life. Good things in church, good things in family, good things in community. And they're good, they're good and they might be able to render, uh, you know, some good results philanthropically or whatever. But the bottom line is, is it a good thing or is it a God thing? Just because something's a good thing isn't necessarily what God's called you to do. I want you all to stop and think about that. A lot of people, if you're just doing nothing but good things, and it's not necessarily what God's called you to do, how is that any different than someone that's not doing what God's called them to do? Because you're both doing not doing what God's called you to do. It's just the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Same fruit, same tree, same result. Y'all see that? Because it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That tree produces one fruit. And it, it, and it looks, on the one side, it looks like it's good. On the other side, it looks like it's evil. It, but the, the, the result is the same if you eat of that tree. It's death. It's not something that's going to be a life in eternal. It's going to be dead works. It's going to wear you out. It's going to expend your energies in the things that God really needs you to be expending on the things he has called you to do. It's going to put you into a place of frustration and exasperation and bewilderment. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. So I'm talking about the difference between God things and good things, his plans and your plans, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the tree of life. The tree of life is the spirit. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is the soul. 
What you need to do is get that soul renewed by the life of the Spirit. You need to continue eating from that, that, that tree of life to, re, to invigorate the soul and to, to, to revitalize and re-speciate your soul to the species of your spirit. That's really what you're doing. See, here's the deal about the soul. The area of temptation, you know, there's a lot in the Christian world and, and in, 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 uh, churches in general. They talk about temptation. Oh, temptation, oh, temptation and sin, temptation and sin. But here's the deal. The area of temptation is really in choice. That's really the, that's really the substance of temptation. It's in choice. It's either the choice for God and his life and his will and the choice of the spirit or the choice for suke, the choice for your shallowness of life apart from God. You know, and the thing is, you know, we make a lot of choices from the good side of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Yet it's the same tree. You know, I mean, a lot of us, man, we're not going to sit there and think about murder. I mean, that's, that's evil. We're not going to think about committing, you know, adultery. We're not going to think about, you know, you know, doing these things that we would, a lot of us characterize as heinous and sin and, and evil. But yet, what about the, what about the, the other things? You know, the things that seem good. If it's from the same tree, then the same nutrients are there, right? The same result from those nutrients are going to manifest. You know, I'll give you a good example. I mean, a good example is, is, uh, you know, someone that I, I've talked about a career minded person, someone, you know, and you've got young adults, you know, they're, they're coming back to college here in the next week or so. They're going to be starting their education. Some of them, some of them are going to be continuing their education, may even end it this year. And the bottom line is going through their mind are choices. Remember, we're talking about the area of temptation is in choice and they're making choices. And, and, and here's the problem though. There's nothing wrong with going to school. Nothing wrong with this, with thinking about career paths that you want to take, thinking about where you would like to eventually end up in the way of the type of house you want to live in, what kind of neighborhood you want to live in, and all kinds of, that's great, man. Dream about that kind of stuff. Envision that kind of stuff, but make sure that you're submitting it to the spirit. Make sure that your decision maker is submitted to the will of God. And you're constantly checking in and going, this sounds good, but nevertheless, not my will, but your be, yours be done. This sounds great. I would like this, but nevertheless, you, what is your will, God? You know? And so you've got these, you know, got these young people and they're thinking about that kind of stuff. And the problem comes whenever, whenever basically, you know, their priorities aren't setting their, their choices. They're, you know, the things they're doing set their priorities. It's just a matter of what they find themselves doing, setting their priorities. And that's not the way it should be. You know, your priorities ought to set your procedures. You ought to, you ought to already have the priorities predetermined and then your procedures and everything else just follow suit with the priorities. You know, don't let your plans set your priorities. So that your priorities set your plans. And that's what I'm talking about. Make sure that you're purposing to submit your plans to God and follow after his purposes and pursue his, his uh, desires above all. 
above all, first and foremost, always checking in with that. You know, God intends that, you know, we live our life from the spirit, from the pneuma man. So we've got the suke man. Well, then the spirit is pneuma, P-N-E-U-M-A. And it's the, it's the prefix that we attach to a lot of words that have to do with air-driven power. Pneumatic is, is something that is driven by, by the force of air. I can have a pneumatic drill. I can have a pneumatic wrench. I've used both of those before. It's amazing the power that 150 PSI can, can put into a little hand instrument. It's amazing the power. And guess what pneuma is referring to? It's referring to that forceful power of the life of God from a spiritual standpoint in our spirits. That's pneuma. And so we've got pneuma on the one hand, which is God and made after the image of God. You know, our spirits recreated in his image. Then we've got suke, some of which is after the likeness of our spirit as we have possessed our souls by our spirit. But to, that's only to the degree that you've saved your soul which is a process of your whole life. It's not something that you just, well, I'm going to apply myself for five or six years and I've achieved what I need to to save my soul. The salvation of your soul is a continual process. It never stops. It's going to continue forever. And how does that take place? It takes place through the Word of God. And if you don't have the Word of God as a part of your life, then forget it. You can forget, you know, the suke or the, the psyche, if you will, your mind, will, and emotions being in subjection to your spirit because they're going to rule you. Because you're not going to have an ability to understand the difference between them, to have them separated because the word of the, the marismosing action of the word is not going to be in your life if you don't have the word in your life. Okay, so God wants and intends for us to live our life from the spirit man, the pneuma man, with our suke man in submission to it. See, that's the thing. And this whole thing got screwed up whenever man fell in the garden because he was a spirit-minded, spirit-aware, spirit-energized being above all else and before all else. But then what happened was in the temptation of choice that started with with Eve but was really a sin of Adam because he didn't keep the snakes out of the garden like he was supposed to, I mean, that's, that's, that's the saith Greg, but Adam was really in my mind the first one to sin, not Eve. Because he was told to tend and keep the garden. And he didn't tend and keep it if there was a snake in there talking to his wife. Amen, fellas? We gotta tend and keep our gardens. Our gardens are our family. It's your responsibility to keep the snakes out of your, the talking serpents out of your family. You know, those things that, that deceive and will, will try to get people off track. So yeah, they, they ate the fruit, but, but you've got to see that that whole issue was a temptation of choice because what happened was is that that serpent challenged the word of God that was given to Eve and Adam. And if you look at that whole, go back and read that sometime, that whole interchange between Satan and, and, and Eve. And she quotes the word of God directly to him. Well, then he takes it back and he, he challenges her understanding of it. And I've got to tell you that that process has, that, that has not stopped folks. Because what happens is, is he got her to a place of reasoning. And that's where the temptation of choice exists. If you can come out of the realm of reason, temptation will have no part of you. 
That's why it's important to be able to have a separation between spirit and soul so you can make the choice for the spirit. Because if you can keep your your limits, you know, if you can limit the amount of your life spent in reasoning, you're not going to constantly be confronted with that potential to be tempted. Because that's where the cho- the temptation is. It's the temptation for choice. And so he gets Eve to a reasoning center of her of her being, which is the soul, the suke. Uh, and he's like, you'll not surely die. You know, and, and then, you know, she says something else and he's like, well, you got to understand, he just doesn't want you to know these things because you'll be like him. This is the Greg version. You go back and read it for yourself. But that's what it says. But so see, Satan is the master of deception. He's the master of taking truth. He's the master of taking brownies and putting enough, just enough dog poop in it that you'll still eat it and won't taste it. Now, I know a lot of people look at me, what in the heck are you talking about? Have you all ever heard that story? <laughs> See, these two are laughing because they've, they've been so part, uh, such an integral part of rearing uh, uh, children in this church in terms of educating people on how to rear them and that's something that a father did to his daughter one time because she wanted to go see a movie. And the movie had some things that she didn't need to be seen in it. And she was, all, uh, this is the story I heard. And she was on her dad and on her dad and on her dad about wanting to see this movie. And I want to see this movie. I want to see this movie. And finally the dad said, okay. He said, well, here's the deal. I, Cause she didn't understand what the problem was because it just had this in it. It just had that in it. And that's not that big of a deal. And the dad said, okay, well, I'm going to make you some brownies. And I'm going to put just a little bit of dog poop in them. It won't be enough that you can taste it. It'll be just a little bit. And if you'll eat those brownies, you can go watch the movie. Well, you know what happened. <laughs> she, she, he didn't make, make those brownies. She didn't eat the brownies. She didn't go see the movie. I mean, now you understand what I said about this. Satan's the master at putting just a little bit of dog poop in something. Were, were you from a soulless perspective? And then here's the problem though. The more, every time you eat that brownie, the next time he ramps it up. And the next time you eat that brownie, and have you ever heard of something that's called, uh, I mean, you can get to the place where you have an olfactory resistance or an olfactory numbness. You can from a taste perspective too, to where you can't taste certain things because you, and like you can build up a resistance like, I can eat a lot of pretty hot things because I've eaten a lot of hot things and I've kind of developed a sense, a desensitization to it. I'll eat some things and people, and they know, don't ask me if you want a good opinion of whether something's hot or not. Because I'll say, no, that isn't very hot. They'll take a bite of me like, oh my goodness, that's hot. Because I've desensitized my, my receptors for that, for that capsaicin oil. In peppers and things like that, because I've eaten a lot of them. I enjoy that. I like that heat. And you can do the same thing, folks, from a soulless perspective. The more and more you take in, the more desensitized you get and the more dog poop you get in it the next time it's made for you. I don't know why I'm off on that, but I gotta tell you, that's, there's a lot of, there's 100% truth in that. And we need our young people to hear that analogy. Because that's the problem. And you know what? There's a lot, there's brownies with a lot of dog poop being served out of just a few blocks down here. 
I'm not, and I'm not denigrating education because I love education. I have a, a bachelor's of science degree in wildlife ecology. I have a master of science in zoology and extended educations beyond that. I'm, I'm the first one to be a proponent of education and so forth. Get out there and get it done. But there's a lot of stubble that you need to spit out when you're taking the hay in too. And that's what I'm saying right there. You need to know which brownies have dog poop in them and which of them don't. Well, anyway. Okay, and here's something I'm going to bring up. You know, we as ministers, you know, people that actually stand in, in, in the role of, you know, front of house ministry, in the eyes of a lot of people. You know, honestly, folks, before you and God, I'm not up here because I'm getting some kind of warm fuzzy from you all looking at at me and hearing my words and so forth. Folks, you know where I'd rather be from a physical and soul standpoint? I'd rather be home right now in, in bed. I'm not kidding you. No, no, I, I, I'm wore out, man, physically. I mean, there's been a lot of stuff going on. I'm, I'm just, I'm just putting, I'm just telling, giving you the truth here now. I'm an open faced person. You know, I'm very direct, very frank, because I don't see why you need to be anything else. <laughs> you know, I'm not up here doing that. And you know, people don't even stop to think a lot of times, you know, front of house ministers, Pastor CJ, Cornell. You know, other people, Pastor Dale, the hours and hours and hours that people spend to prepare things, to put notes together and things like that. I got to tell you, though, before you and God, you're not the reason why. I, I mean, your your glory and praise is not why I'm doing this. I'm doing this for one reason, because God made me to do this. And I've got to be diligent to return unto him the talents he gave me. If I'm not, then when I get to the end and he takes his staff, his proving staff, and touches my pile, it's just going to be a big poof of ash and smoke. And my life hasn't counted for anything for the kingdom of God. Just like you folks have your talents that God's given you. And, you know, you'll remember that scripture. Man, I'm getting off on some rabbit trails, but I feel the life of God in it. There, there, he talks about giving some of them ten. Some of them got five. Some of them got one talent. But you know what? The master was the same to everyone, regardless of how many, because it mattered what they did with it. That's what mattered. What did you do with it? But the thing about men front of house ministers are, you know, they can they can do a lot of what we're talking about from a ministry standpoint. They can, they can, they can spend 90 plus percent of their ministry energy deriving it from the soul and just mix in very little spirit in the process. And Cornell brother, I can't, I can't even fathom doing this from a soulless perspective. If the anointing's not in it, I don't want any part of it. And the reason for that is because there's no life in that. There's a, just a limited result, a potential in that. Very limited. And guess what? It'll wear you down. It'll wear you down. It's just like what Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. And but for the grace of God go I. That's what I say and I proclaim constantly in this, in what I'm doing right now. But the problem is in ministry, man, we're doing too much stuff from the soul. Too much stuff from the soul. And we need to get back to the Numa man. We need to get out of the suke and stop handling and touching this, the, the ministry and the, the word and everything from a suke perspective and keep drilling down, drilling down, drilling down because the issues of life are of the spirit or of the heart. 
for everybody, not just front of house ministers, but for everybody. Your choice and, and ability to, to make a life choice is an issue of heart, folks, not of mind. And so if you can make, if you can be able to get to the place that you can separate those two, then you can make the choice that's going to bring life every single time. Every single time, not just five times out of ten or seven times out of ten, which is a good, uh, good, you know, uh, majority, but ten times out of ten. You know, the problem is, is that, you know, you've, we've got, you know, ministers that are praying prayers. They're, they're, they're prophesying, you know, they're making declarations, they're teaching, they're making financial decisions, they're making career choices. And the bottom line is they're making them all from the suitcase. Instead of the, the, the pneuma, instead of the spirit. And because of it, there's very little life in it. You know, I've sat under a lot of suke dominant ministry. And you know what? It just is, it's like chewing on leather. There may be a lot of substance there, but it had no flavor. And I don't want it. I mean, it seems like there's a lot of substance from a mental and intellectual standpoint, but ultimately, I ain't going to eat this because there's no life in it. And you know, one thing about, about circumcision, man, people are like, good golly, you've been on some rabbit trails tonight. Now you're going to talk about how you're going to get circumcision into this. You know, the reason here, here is, here is, you know, because the things that happen in the old Testament are types and shadows. They're prophetic images of the realities of what we live in now under the law of the spirit. Under the law of grace, the dispensation of the Holy Spirit, there are things that we live in now and are, and are doing from a prophetic standpoint. The, the circumcision, oh my goodness, it's symbolic of so many things. But in particular, what circumcision is symbolic of is a cutting away of that which would defile the seed. And you know what? We've got a lot of uncircumcised mouths and intellects in the pulpit that are bringing forth the seed of the word of God and it's being touched and defiled by that, by that flesh. By that suke. I, you know, and, 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 and God forgive me if I, you know, I've probably done that too. God forgive me. I don't want that. I, I, I pray before every time I deliver, God, please help it to be unabated, unmolested, untouched by my intellect or my reasoning. And, you know, you, the thing is, you've got your soul involved in this. And it's not like you've got to divide them apart because you can only come from one tangent. No, they're meant to be together. But the issue is you've got to be directed and come from your spirit through your soul and your soul in subjection to it, the spirit. Not your soul leading your spirit in the process, but your spirit leading and directing and inspiring your soul. So your soul has to be a part of the process, but it needs to be the renewed part of your soul. It, you know, it gets renewed and the life comes forth through that. But that's what circumcision really symbolizes. It's a cutting away of that which defiles the seed. Because you don't, we, and I, we don't want that. And you want to know why so many people are offended why so many people have issues with the church and the word of God. It's because of that reason, I feel like. Because there are so many front of house ministers that are defiling the word of God. They're defiling the principles. They're defiling the truth of God's word and the life of it. And diluting the life of it by touching it with their their reasoning and their intellect. 
You know, the Word of God says that the intellect or man's mind puffs up. And what is something that's puffed up? It's full of air. It has no substance. And I love what Randy Shankle terms it. He calls it the suke souffle. And I love that. It's an absolute inspiration of the Word of God or of the, the Spirit of God because that's absolutely what it is. The mind puffeth up. Knowledge puffeth up. It bring it, it, it makes you this ego and this thing of your psyche, your suke, if that's what you're relying upon, it breathes air into it and makes it big. And the thing about something that's puffed up is it doesn't take but just a little bit of pressure in one area to deflate the whole substance of what's there and show you the reality of what's there. Amen or oh me. We don't want to be puffed up. We don't want suitcase souffles. The problem is, though, man, you know how many suitcase souffles have been ch- served in church? I'm not just talking about New Covenant. I'm just talking about church in general. Man, I tell you what, the congregation after congregation, person after person after person that's eaten so many suitcase souffles from minute front of house ministers, it's sickening. I'm sorry, but I, well, I'm not sorry. It's the truth. And we don't need suitcase souffles. We need pneuma, wind, to blow through us as ministers, to blow through you as ministers of the gospel, as ministers of reconciliation. We need the pneuma wind of the Spirit of God to blow through us. Okay. And here's the problem, you know, ministering from the soul, acting from the soul all the time. What happens is it brings about weariness. It brings about frustration. It brings about exasperation. And if unchecked, it will shipwreck your faith. It will shipwreck it. It will run it aground. And you'll be those that shrink back and are destroyed. Why? Because you're looking at the, the soul can't do anything but look at what it sees. It can't do anything but assess the, the reality of circumstance. The spirit is the only thing that can see the unseen. Do y'all, do y'all understand? Do y'all, is that, are we communicating? The spirit is the only thing is, and that's what Paul said. He said, don't look at those things which are seen for those are temporary. Look at the things that are unseen for those are eternal. He's talking about spiritual things. You can't see a, ser- a, a, a single eternal thing from a soulish perspective. It's all from a spiritual perspective. That's seeing the things that are unseen. How in the world is Paul telling us to focus on the things that are unseen? Look at the things that are unseen because he's talking about a different set of eyes. He's talking about a different set of things to behold. And they're in a different realm from our senses, from our physical senses, our, our soulless senses. That's what he's talking about. And so, you know, I mean, we get tired from a physical standpoint, even if you're doing the things of the Spirit. You need to rest. That's why God gave us a Sabbath, and we disobey that. Our whole, you know, this culture has no concept of Sabbath. I don't have a concept of Sabbath. You know, a lot of people say, well, that was instituted under the law, and so it was a legal thing. No, I think it was instituted because God knew our physical bodies and our souls needed some to cease from what they're doing. And that's why we're dying early. That's why we have all these diseases and stuff. I think a big part of it roots back to the fact that we are not taking any time to rest. Even God rested for crying out loud. 
Man, I'm getting off on a lot of things. But you know, I, and I'm preaching to myself because I need to learn. I have begged God and asked God, teach me to rest, oh God. And I have come through some things and I've gotten some good words that are, that are helping me. They're helping me come from a perspective of Martha to Mary. My personality and my soul, you know what my suke is? My suke is, is Martha. I'm always about the process. Uh, I find my fulfillment in checking things off the list. I want to be able to serve. I want to be able to be active. I want to be able to produce by my hands. I want to be able to see a product of the energies and labors of my soul, of my body. I get fulfillment out of that. And there's, folks, there's nothing wrong with that. God put that inside of us. He stood back and even looked at his creation and said, it's good. So you need to be able to appreciate and get some fulfillment for that. But let me tell you what, if that's 100% of your drive for fulfillment in life, you're going to wear yourself out. Because that can't be 100% totality for your reason for being. You know, and so, you know, I'm just going to share with you and then I'm going to end. Man, we got off on a lot of things here. But you know what it is? It's the marismos. It's, it's the word of God that's, and the truth of God's word that's bringing clarity and separation to these things so we can see them for what they are. So let me give you a Marismos experience for me. So I'm sitting there and I'm just kind of thinking, pondering about, you know, just meditating a little bit. And I, I really, I really perceive that we're going to come, we're coming up on a time that I believe that as a body, we need to enter a fasting period. A, con- a particular period of consecration. I, I, I just perceive that. Is anyone else perceiving that we're moving into a time that that's going to be something that, that I believe we're going to be asked to do by the Spirit of God? I know I'm purposing to do it during a particular season that's coming up. So, you know, I'm thinking about fasting and so forth, you know, and, you know, fasting is the abstinence of food. You know, that is fasting. That is biblical fasting. You do not eat. That's fasting. And, you know, we, we put a lot of uh, other spins on it and so forth, and I think there's some good revelations in it, in that. And so I'm thinking about, you know, not, you know, not eating, this, nothing like that. And then the Holy Spirit just turned the lamp on. Chick, chick. And it was just like all of a sudden I saw something about my life that I, I hadn't really stopped to consider before. And you know what he told me? He goes, he goes you know what would be real fasting for you? I mean, now he didn't say, he didn't say this, but that was the perception. Y'all know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's that lamp that goes chick, chick. And now all of a sudden you're looking at the room around you. It was like he showed me, Greg, you know, it'd be a really good fast for you. Cease from your labors. Stop the tasks. Stop doing stuff. Forget about the fact that you need to change the oil in the car. Forget about the garden that needs to be weeded. Forget about picking tomatoes and putting them up. Forget about, you know, needing to go and repair the eaves on the house or trim the grass or whatever, the whatever. just insert blank. And take a day or two days and do nothing but focus on me. Forget all the tasks and the things that you're so burdened down and care about from a soulless standpoint. That's what Jesus told Martha, right? He goes, Martha, you're worried about a great many things. Yet Mary's doing what's needful. See what I'm saying? That's what the Holy Ghost did. He went, chick, chick. He gave me a Mary Martha experience. Chick, chick. 
And it was like Jesus was, or it was like the Holy Ghost was telling me, man, Greg, you're, you're worried about a great many things. <laughs> a lot of them are good. You need to do what's needful. Take some time. And so for me, that's what I'm going to do. And people I know, you're looking at me cross-eyed going, well, that sounds like laziness to me. Well, and for some people, they would love to hear what I'm saying right now. I'm not saying this to people that are like that, or I wouldn't have said it, because I purposed that I really wasn't going to share this, with, but, but I felt like I was supposed to share it. Because I think there's some other task-driven people out here. There's some other people that are consumed by the moment of their process. My wife is back there laughing because she knows. She tells me all the time, if I haven't heard something, you know, a hundred times that I've heard once from her, it's, honey, come in here and just lay down with me for a little bit. It's sad, man. Is it, no, I'm not kidding you. She'll tell me, she'll say, just, uh, just take a nap, just take a nap for 30 minutes. And you know what my pat answer is? I got to go change the oil in the car. Because I have no time to do it because I'm working full time and I come back and then I've got to go do things over here in Stillwater because we have to live 45 minutes from the nearest, you know, activity, whether it's work or church. I mean, I'm not griping. I'm just, I'm just getting, I'm letting my soul out here a little bit. And so it's like I have no time. So, so guess what? I got time now. I got to change. I got to make hay while the sun shines. I I need to change the oil because I I don't have any time to change it. And she'll be, and she tells me, I've just heard that on how many times. She's like, honey, just here, this take, you need to just relax. She'll just come and she'll rub me. She'll say, just chill out. <laughs> so you know what? I'm by the Holy Spirit's grace because when I think about that, it makes me start going like this. Because I'll tell you what, I'll give up food. And let me tell you, I like me some food. I'm, I mean, I love food. I, I really do. I'm passionate about food. I'm passionate about making it for people and pleasing them in it. I love to do that. Just like Martha was back in that kitchen, banging in pots and pans, doing all that stuff for Jesus. And she's upset about Mary in there because she wasn't helping her. Anyway, I've gone a little bit long, but y'all, I think, I think the Holy Ghost has delivered the gist here of this. So, uh, we're talking about Marismos, and we're going to continue next week talking about this and kind of get into a little bit more of the uh, the, the, the word side of it and breaking it down. All right, Father, we're just grateful. Oh, thank you, Holy Spirit. Jesus, you said the Holy Spirit's our helper. <laughs> you said when you would leave, you would send a helper. Holy Spirit, you have helped, and, and I invite your help more. I need help, Holy Spirit. I need help, Holy Ghost. And I know I'm not the only one. We need help, Holy Spirit. And we invite your help. We invite you to click that lamp on. Whatever those rooms are that that need your light, Holy Spirit, do it. Because it's going to bring freedom to us. And most importantly, it's going to get us to a place that we're doing what's needful. The pneuma things, oh God. Because we want to be pleasing to you, Father. We we want to do the things that our Father does. We want to say the things that our Father said, just like our Master Jesus did. And I just give you all the glory, Jesus. 
Father God, in the name of Jesus, I thank you right now for just sealing your word with your spirit. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.